This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. It's this been said that people run systems and, and the systems run their businesses. Small Thoughts Small and beliefs run people. It's all about why we do what we do, what we attribute importance to, what drives us, how we frame the decisions we make, how we feel, and how we think. So much of our success in life and in business is about what we believe in our hearts and what's inside our brain. In business, I call this the small biz brain. Small biz. Small biz America. The brain. Our guest on this segment is Tamara Kleinberg. She's the founder of Launch Street, the online innovation program and community and creator of the proprietary innovation Quotient Edge. And by the way, this is the only assessment able to help you discover your unique innovator archetype. This is so fascinating. So uh, that way, when you know that, you can innovate on demand. Imagine that. She's very sought after, worldwide, keynote speaker, CrossFit addict, and knee-high sock lover. <laughs> I love it. Tamira Kleinberg, welcome to the program. Hey, David. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Let's just dive right into this. So let's start with Launch Street, uh, the website go to launchstreet.com. What is Launch Street? Yeah, so at LaunchRoot, what we focus on is innovation. And what we mean by that is people each thinking differently about what's right in front of them to create differentiated value. So we work with individuals, leaders, businesses, and organizations to help them leverage innovation to dominate the marketplace. And oftentimes that involves launching new products. Sometimes that's thinking differently about a challenge that they have, but it's always about getting that competitive edge. Well, I love this broader definition of innovation because when we think of innovation, you know, out of the gate, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to win invent something. And that's not always what we mean. We need a, this way of thinking, this frame of mind that you're describing. Why do some of us have barriers or challenges when it comes to thinking like an innovator? Well, I think there's some myths out there that we've accidentally bought into or been we've been sold a bad label of goods, as they say, when it comes to innovation. So I think you kind of started it. We think of innovation as what's the new technology? What's the new product that's being launched? That's the output of innovation. So we think it's only you know relegated to a select type of thing. And I think on top of that, we've also bought into this myth, which 
is absolutely not true that, you know, the innovative ones are the, you know, it's not me, David, it's, it's you down the hall with your, you know, funky glasses and your cool Mac and, you know, the blue streak in the hair. And, you know, you have been divinely ordained to be innovative and I'm just waiting for you to say something. So we kind of think that, oh, well, it's only certain people, certain times, and oftentimes in a crisis is when it comes out. Hmm. The reality is innovation is something that we should be doing all the time and that we're actually all capable of. And it's why we created the assessment that you uh, mentioned in the beginning that I'm sure we'll get to, but that's the challenges and barriers. We think somebody else, there's only certain times, sometimes it's with that scented marker brainstorm session. Do you know the one? Oh my gosh. It drives me crazy, right? Because the person with well intent who created the session comes in and says, okay, everybody, let's warm up. If you were a, you know, animal in the jungle, you know, what kind of animal would you be? And then you're supposed to be innovative. It drives me crazy. But, you know, but it's not, right? Innovation is thinking differently about what's right in front of us. And that is something that we can tap into all the time and it benefits us all the time. Well, I love this. This is idea of living creatively is another way of saying some, to some extent what you're saying. In every moment, there is the opportunity to think a little bit differently than we are patterned or conditioned to do. And that's really what you're after. Now, the idea, uh, Tamara, of archetypes, creative or innovation archetypes, as you call them, how does that work? So I used to believe that in order to be innovative, we all just had to do the same thing. We all had to, you know, step outside our comfort zone and dare to be fearless. And what I discovered in my 20 plus years of work and research actually blew those assumptions out the door completely. I was totally wrong. What I discovered is that being innovative is universal. We can, we're actually all capable of it and we all do it, but how we do it is unique to each of us. And there's actually nine triggers of innovation. And what we've discovered in our assessment is that it's the combination of your top two power triggers. So the place that you innovate the best and the presence of your dormant. So the one that maybe you innovate the least that come together to create your innovator archetype. And when you understand that you can do more of what works for you and less of what doesn't perform at your peak, be that a player, have those innovative ideas. And as you said, you can begin to innovate on demand because you know how to tap into it. Tamara, would it be possible for you to share like what a trigger is, like maybe an example of one or two that we might, just so we have a sense of what these archetypes look like? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll share, I'll put myself on the chopping block and I'll share mine. And I would say that also, if you want to go to go to launchfeet.com and click on assessment, you'll see all nine of them with a oh. little bit of an overview. Oh, so okay. even if you haven't taken the assessment, you can get an idea for what's there, but I'll give you an example. So I am, my power triggers are experiential and risk taker and my dormant is collaborative. So here's what that means about me. I innovate by leaping, by taking risks. I'm really comfortable being uncomfortable because I'm a risk taker. And for me, in order to innovate, I have to get out of the confines of my comfort zone and actually be a little bit risky. Otherwise, I tend to shut down. So for me, I've always got to be out there doing those new things, trying those new experiences. Now, I'm an experiential, which also means that I learn in motion. So I'm one of those people. Have you ever gotten in the car, David, with someone like this, where you get in and you're going from, you know, you're house to the restaurant downtown and they have no directions and they're like, Oh, we'll just go. And if the stoplight is red, we'll turn right. And then we'll go that way. way, And eventually we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like me. So that's an experiential. We innovate in motion. Things have to get out of our head and into the real world. And and I'll give you a very small, but for me, meaningful example and how this kind of rocked my world a little bit. So I have a team and I used to give my team the, like a, a list of the things I needed them to do to put into my PowerPoint presentation. 
presentation for a keynote, a, a pitch, whatever it was. Sure. And every time I got it back, it was wrong in my opinion. And I was like, why, why can't my team, like, why can't they get it? I've outlined what I want. But then I realized it's because I can't innovate that way. I've got to build it and then I can give it to them. So if you look at my desk, it's got duct tape and Legos and whatever, because when I have an idea, if I really want to innovate against it and take it further, I've got to build it in some way. Otherwise, I can't. I can't see it. So you have to be actually the doing the do. It sounds somewhat like when someone asks you to help navigate on a website to a certain place or a location, I can't do it unless I'm literally holding the mouse and looking at their screen. I can't talk them verbally. Maybe this is like more of a verbal processing issue, but I have to actually do it. And it sounds like it's a bit of that kind of thing where you, you have to be in motion, actually participating in order to think innovatively, to put it. That's exactly right. So like today I work out of one of these collaborative workspaces, which I love, and I booked this room oh, yeah. that's all whiteboards because I have to, I have, I'm trying love to think those. through some, yeah, I love yeah, so great, yeah. right? Yeah. I have to think through the strategy, but I can't do that by typing on my computer. I got to draw and bring right. it to life on the whiteboards and right. then I can translate it into the formal document. But the reason that mattered for me is it switched my behavior. I was actually working against myself by trying to give people lists and email things that, you know, to build the ideas. Right. And the reason I was getting it back wrong is because I didn't have a chance to bring it to life first. And that's where I really see what I need and want and how to innovate. And so it's funny. So my dormant is collaborative, which at first, I'll be honest, even though it's my own assessment, I was offended. I was like, hold on. I love people. How am I not collaborative? Right. But that's not how I innovate. I don't collaboratives innovate by pulling disparate people and experiences together to create a whole idea. You know them because it takes them 20 minutes to walk down the hallway, but it's because they're collecting ideas and nuggets from every person right. that they interact with. Right. And they're really good at long lasting whole ideas because they're pulling those nuggets from all these different places. When I come to the world, I come to the world with my ideas 90% formed. It's not to say I don't like feedback. I love it. But that's not how I innovate. So I used to try to make myself do that and like get all these disparate nuggets together, and it just wasn't working for me. Right. So when I realized this, I was like, oh, okay, I'm still a relationship person, but I'm not going to put my innovation efforts in that way. So when you learn that about yourself, you know, you, you can unlock this wellspring that's inside of you. Well, that distinction is amazing. In other words, you like people, but that's just not the way you, you happen to innovate. And that's the key differentiator there. That's so interesting. Um, so we each innovate differently. And by the way, I'm a music composer by original trade, right? So I can completely relate to the, the style that you innovate. I think I'm very similar to you yeah. in that I would generally come and be, uh, well, how would I say subjectively, it's a more satisfying experience if my client would say, oh yeah, it's perfect. Let's go record, you know, right. rather, rather than, oh, can we change the flute to a, an oboe and can we change the meter from four to three and or whatever the, the nuances would be. So I don't know that I was protective, but I know that my innate and natural style is to pretty much bake it almost all the way and leave a little room. And, and over time I matured and I learned my style and learned to leave a little bit of room at the end. Yeah. And that's a client relationship thing too, which is a little bit different than what we're talking about here. But no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think as a music composer too, you will also understand that it's, I think of it as an equalizer. These are my two power triggers. So I want to play to them as much as possible. It's not that I can't do the other ones like uh -huh. be futuristic or yeah. be imaginative. Like I have those in me right. and I can tap them. Them. But if I want to be my best, if I want to work as smart and innovatively as I possibly can, I want to tap those two things. And then I want to surround myself with people who don't have that. 
and have something else. So Laura, who I think you interacted with, who's my business manager, which is really when I say that, what I mean is she runs the show and I just, you know, follow, tell whatever she tells me. <laughs> you show up as the universe. Yeah, exactly. Right. She does. She runs the company and I just, just tell me what to do, Laura, and I'll do it. Right. She's, she's a tweaker. And what that means is she's really good at taking what already has been created and editing and evolving and tweaking. Cause for people who are tweakers, they know that innovation is just one little tweak away that the idea is right by one little adjustment, but they're really brilliant at it. So if you give them room to edit and evolve and change things and not make it all or none for them, they can create incredible innovation. I think for them, oftentimes they get stuck in situations, whether it's working for themselves or for others, where they try to go all or none. And they're like, well, it's, it's okay. Like I'm not bringing my best self, my best work yeah. because they're not even giving themselves that room to do that. But what's, what's great about us together is I'm experiential risk taker. So I want to start the idea and I want to try it. And then I want to punt. So I send it right over to her and she makes it way better. Wow. What a great partnership too. I mean, that's team dynamic, you know, optimized. Uh, it's so beautiful. And, and, and it's also beautiful because what you just talked about exactly happened in advance of this interview where I got your original splash of questions for this interview, sort of things we would talk about. And then I subsequently got an email from uh, Laura saying, here's some questions that you can ask. <laughs> and they're just, they're very different than yours, but there's sort of, right? there's some overlap, <laughs> but they're a little bit more specific and there's, it's just interesting yeah. and I can feel the touch that she has. That's so yeah. cool. Um, yeah, exactly right. On the organizational level, I just want to touch this uh, before I do that. We're, we're visiting with Tamara Kleinberg. She is the founder of Launch Street and the website is go to launchstreet.com and uh, you can take a unique innovator profile there. Is that correct or is that a paid for service or how does that, um, is that an assessment that is free or how does that work? Yeah. So it does require a tiny investment. Don't worry. I don't charge people thousands of dollars for it. Okay. It's just 47 bucks. Oh. And w what I think is cool about it is you get the assessment. So you learn all this information about yourself, but I'm a free spirit wrapped up in a type A personality. So yeah. it also gives you access to a password protected area with all these tools so that you can pull the ones that would work for you and maybe mm. even some people around you and start strengthening those innovation muscles every day. So it's the why and the how, but then it's the, here's the implementation. I want to talk about your experience in innovation in organizations. Let's call it the corporate environment for short. What did you learn about working at, I believe you worked at Apple, right? So what did you learn about innovation and the dynamics of innovation and barriers to innovation within larger innovative companies? Yeah. So I haven't worked for Apple, although, man, do I wish I had. But I have worked for Disney and Procter & Gamble and General Mills and Clorox and um, the Army Research Labs. So a bunch of different, I think, perspectives and a lot in healthcare as well, interestingly enough. Wow. So yeah, you know, I, I think there's a couple barriers inside organizations. So I, I think first and foremost, and I alluded to this earlier, um, you know, innovation tends to be a focus in the moment of a crisis. And that is the last time that, you know, last place that you want to start innovation. It should have happened long before that. Mm. That's why you got there. Mm. And so oftentimes what I see with these organizations is they, they wait too long to innovate. And then on top of that, I think oftentimes they get trapped in this cycle of asking the wrong questions. And what I mean by that is they're asking the questions that are in their comfort zone and in their category versus asking what I call inciting questions that are actually going to get them to the future, to success. Um, 
and then I think that layers to the last one, which is one of the biggest ones that I see is, you know, I think in corporate culture, there tends to be this mistake that success yesterday is going to equal success tomorrow. So whatever I did yesterday to got us to where we are and great is what's going to get me to the future. And I'll just, I'll share this little story for you because it kind of blew my mind. I had a, a client come up to me, it was actually an attendee to keynote and he worked for a huge manufacturing company. And he said to me, um, you know, Tamara, I have to tell you, um, our bosses asked us to read the book, Good to Great, you know, the, the iconic Jim Collins business book. Yes. And I said, oh, and he goes, but here's the thing. Half of the companies in there don't even exist anymore. And it, I hadn't read it in a long time. It blew my mind when I thought about that. And don't wow. get me wrong. I think Jim Collins was right. What, what he wrote about in his book is what got those businesses to the point of success that they were in then. But what gets you to success yesterday is not what gets you to success tomorrow. And I think it's very easy, especially when dealing with the unknown in a large company, to focus on, well, here's what we've already done that worked. So we're going to do more of that. When you think, Tamara, about what makes an insanely great product, how do you build that? How, how do you think and frame that out for an organization or even in a smaller environment like your own at uh, Launch Street? Yeah. So let me talk a little bit about um, a couple of the keys, as I call them. There's actually seven of them, but let me focus on just a couple that I think are really relevant for great, today. Great. So, yeah. So one of the things that we have to make sure, and whether it's a product or service, by the way, I would say this still applies. You're providing something of value to someone who hopefully wants to open up their wallet <laughs> and pay you for it. Mm. So I, I, when I say product, I am including service in that as well. Okay. So a couple things. One is it needs to redefine the category. It is not enough to do what everybody else is doing and swim in the same red ocean. I think one of my favorite and most common examples of that or most universal is Cirque du Soleil. So we used to think of circuses as, right, tents, elephants, um, animals, popcorn. Yep. And then they, they came along and said, nope, circus is human acrobats and story and, you know, visual arts. So they changed what it meant to be a circus. And I think for me, that's a really big thing. You can no longer get away with just doing what everybody else has done. So that's one of them. I think the second thing is, and this one is a little bit harder for us to um, wrap our heads around sometime, is we've got to work on a product or service that changes our customers' behavior. So if we think about it, the most obvious one is iPhone, right? Which has changed from everything else we used to do to everything being on my phone. But even think about Airbnb that's changed how we book our travel and our stay to Warby Parker, who's changed how we think about shopping for glasses. Now, it doesn't have to always be something big like that. I just like to use those examples because we all can kind of relate to them. But, you know, the best products, the ones that last the longest, if you think about it, are the ones that have actually changed how we do something. They've made our lives better. They've improved something. They've altered it. You know, if you just pull out the same duct tape, I already got duct tape. I'm good. Right. Like you got to you got to give me something that actually makes it better for me. Mm. Um, I'll give you a tiny example, which most people haven't heard of, but you should go to Home Depot and buy it. Uh, they used to be one of our clients, Super Rope Cinch. So think of it as a little red cylinder that twists. It has the same strength as tying a knot once you put rope through it. Whoa! So I don't. Have, it's cool, right? I don't have to know how to tie a knot anymore. I can just use Super Rope Cinch, and I can tie my you know suitcases to the top of my car if I'm a you know National Lampoon vacation or something like that. 
I can tug a boat, I can, you know, use it as a handle, but that's changed how I'm able to do something. And, you know, the third one I think is so important, but often overlooked is we have got to create advocates for our products and services, no matter what business you're in. You said in the intro, I think that I'm big into CrossFit. And if you look at CrossFit Tough Mudder, I am out there drinking the Kool-Aid and singing their praises every day. And if Mm. you have a built-in, loyal, it doesn't have to be big, it can be small, small group of customers who can be out there really hawking it for you, that's when you know your product service is a winner because you need that to continue to grow. Um, and they're really incredible that way. And by the way, it doesn't have to be something like ridiculous, like a Tough mutter where you're you know running 13 miles and going through shock wires. Mm-hmm. There's, um, have you seen those videos for Will It Blend? I don't. Oh that? yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I love yeah. this so much. Right. So that that is an industrial blender. That's what that <laughs> yes. But they created a huge just sense of excitement and community and viral out of creating these ridiculous videos. Which if you haven't seen, go onto YouTube and check out Willa Blend. But they're but they're a great example of creating advocates within their community. Having customers is not enough. You you really do need a tribe. And it's an emotional connection that you're making with that tribe, as well as you know, sort of the functional connection, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, I kind of look at it as the function and the benefit is the cost of entry in whatever business that you're in. And it's that next level, that heart, that emotional connection that keeps your customers. And David, do I have time to add one more? It's a little bit of a tangent. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good. I think this one really relates. So I'm going to share a little bit of a story with you. Now you'll you'll learn a little bit about my shaving habits in the winter. So just a little while back, I went to the grocery stores. You know, those Thursday nights where you've, I've got one kid, I've got another one at home. I got, I'm like done with work. I got to get home and get dinner on the table. So I'm, I'm like, all right, I got to go to the grocery store. I got to be super fast. I'm going to get exactly what I need. I'm going to get eggs. I'm going to get chicken. I'm going to get vodka. And then I'm going to get out. And I'm in the grocery store and I realize, oh yeah, I need razors. So I go over to that, you know, that aisle with that sea of razors in it. Yes. Yeah. Right. And you, you have know, the holders, know, like, you have the razors, there's different levels, they're locked down. So you can't steal them. You know, it's all that. Yeah. Right. The boxes. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah. 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 So I'm standing there with my four-year-old in the cart and I'm going, oh my God, I don't, I don't know. Do I need three steel blades and a pivot head? Do I need two blades and a moisture strip? Do I need a, t- you know, titanium <laughs> steel handle? Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. So mm. I basically walked my two hairy legs right out of that store and didn't buy anything because I'd had enough. Right. And too many options. Next, Right. It's ridiculous. And and the next day, much to my husband's urging, I went and signed up for Dollar Shave Club, where a razor, very simple razor, is now delivered to my doorstep once a month. Yeah. And I did that because I couldn't handle that sea of what I call er. And I think that's a trap a lot of us fall into. It's better, stronger, faster, smoother. Yes. The er. I love that. Er. Yeah. It's the trap of er. And I would encourage all those listeners out there to think about how do you avoid the er? Because that's just not enough to succeed in today's marketplace. You need to be different. So dollar shave came, you know, piped up and said, Hey, tell you what, Tamara, I'll do it as a subscription and you don't have to think about it. And I was like, yes, I'm in and forget all you with your slightly better razor. I don't understand what you're talking about. Anyway, you're just adding to the clutter. So I think to your question about insanely great products, you got to avoid the ur trap, the ur trap. And it may not, it it may not be better enough to spend your energy on it because time is the real leveler and energy maybe just second behind time, right? So it's so amazing. Yeah. Uh, and as we wind out, I wanted to spend a little bit of time with you on the, your concept or, or the, your ideas around the adoption curve and how we might accelerate it once we have an innovative product in the marketplace. Talk a little bit about how you think about that. 
Got it. So, um, here's the thing with the adoption curve. Some people call it the S curve or the J curve, particularly when it comes to innovative products or ideas out there, there's often a long learning curve. We've got to get the customer and the marketplace to walk to our idea to say, oh, this is better. This is, or sorry, I don't want to use better because that's the earth trap. Shame on me. This is different <laughs> and it's going to improve my life or my work in some way. So, I got to get over there. So, what I encourage those of the you know, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs out there with an innovative idea is take that idea, particularly the ones that are wildly out there, and attach it to an anchor. Something that I, as the end user, the key decision maker, the customer, can understand, that I can buy into. Have you seen all the flax milk and like um, there's almond milk, right? Coconut yeah. milk on the grocery store? Yeah. There's, there's I use one of those. Yep. Yeah, yeah, me too. So there's a reason why they call it milk. It's because that's something I understand. Oh, milk is something that I put in my coffee. I use it in the morning in my cereal. I cook with it. Absolutely. Right? If you had said almond juice, almond liquid. Small is America. Liquid would be the most neutral of of those choices. Uh, Yeah, I I can't even imagine. No, I love this story. I love this story, Tamir, because I recently was uh, talking about launching a uh, podcast series, which is the business, my core business, for a client, a nonprofit. And he wanted to use the word radio in the title for exactly the reason you're, t- yes. you're speaking about. Yep. Yeah. Because people you, relate. You, you- yeah, they need an anchor to hold on to, right? You're asking them to go a lot further. So an anchor, a handle, you need something for them to go, oh, okay, I kind of get it. And right. I've seen a lot of great inventions die on the vine because the adoption curve took too long and the business didn't sustain. So we need to give customers just something to hold on to, a little milk. Just think of what's my milk. I love it. What's your milk? Stay away from the ur. Tamara Kleinberg's <laughs> been her guest. The company's Launch Street. The website, go to launchstreet.com, just like it sounds. She's been joining us from Denver. Thanks for joining us on the program. This was great. Thanks, Tamara. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Thanks for joining us on our journey into the small biz brain. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, and please do give us a review there. You can contact me at podcastandradio.com. I'm David Wolf. We'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.